Someone the NSA once listed as the most dangerous hacker in America. Sure don't look like much. He travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Good morning. You're tuned in to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. Coming at you from AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News covering the Space Coast and Orlando. Talking about cybersecurity issues, what you need to know about nation states hacking, terrorist organizations, hacktivism, and protecting your family's financial information and privacy. Um, you can reach us online at our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash cybersecradio. At Twitter, you can find us at cybersecradio and my personal Twitter account at Bambanek. And email us at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Always happy to take your questions. We have a social media segment where we answer what you want to know about cybersecurity and protecting yourself. Dispatches from the Cyber War. There's a war out there, old friend. A world war. And it's not about who's got the most bullets. It's about who controls the information. Earlier this week, uh, a few days ago, in fact, uh, you may have seen headlines from around the world that Russia has been accused of engaging in more election-related hacking, this time in France targeting uh, the political campaign of Emmanuel Macron, uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, he is the, uh, for lack of a better word, the more establishment French presidential candidate who is facing, uh, prime, uh, facing a runoff election here in a couple of weeks against Marine Le Pen uh, for who will be the next president of France. Uh, Le Pen is a Euroskeptic, wants out of the European Union, may want out of NATO, uh, warmer relations with Russia, uh, whereas Macron is more interested in, in centrist uh, European positions. Uh, what happened here, what was kind of interesting, is that they, uh, the political party behind Macron, uses Office 365 for their email, right? Microsoft, like Gmail, has an email service and OneDrive, things that you may have that you've gotten with your laptop. And what uh, the person that's being alleged to be Russian intelligence did is register domains very close to how campaign operatives would check their email. So it'd be OneDrive dash n-marsh.fr and marsh is the uh, political campaign the party name uh, for this candidate so uh, they registered that in the hope of getting some uh, getting you know email credentials uh, getting malware installed that kind of thing on the political party uh, they reported that uh, they were aware of the attempts nobody clicked on anything no one gave up their passwords so uh, there wasn't any attempts there wasn't any success in those attacks. Uh, but they did, uh, in talking to them as they, they talked to the media, there's a couple of interesting things they said. They said, you know, as a political campaign, they decided early on, in part, in response to our elections and what happened here, that they stopped doing a lot of things in email, stopped storing documents there, stopped a lot of their communications. They switched to secure text messaging solutions. Uh, our next segment, we're going to talk about uh, a terrorist group who's, who's done similar for their own purposes. Uh, the important kind of takeaway and what I don't think people 
uh, fully appreciate and understand is email really is an insecure and an insecurable platform. There is nothing really I can say or sell you or teach you to do to really make email safe. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities for spoofing, installing malware, trickery, social engineering. So anytime somebody asks you for sensitive information, right, you should, you know, you should be wary. Uh, I faced that myself this week. My wife and I are looking at uh, getting a new home, have five kids, kind of outgrowed our 1,500-square-foot uh, house. Uh, so obviously, right, there's a lot of financial information. It has to be a change to get a, uh, exchanged to get a mortgage, right, tax statements, W-2s, the kind of thing that really you shouldn't put an email and just asking the bank, hey, how can I get this to you securely? And they're like, oh, just email it to us. It's like you're a bank. You should know better. Uh, people really put a false sense of trust uh, in email, and that's being leveraged Right to, to great extents by intelligence agencies, not just those who are engaged in election hacking, but those who might want to steal uh, trade secrets from manufacturing or engaged in scams that we call business email compromise, where if you're a small business, uh, maybe more medium size, uh, you know, you get uh, a fake spoofed message from your CEO to the controller saying, hey, send this money here or a fake invoice, all designed to basically get you to voluntarily transact and send your money elsewhere to another place. And it's all kind of based on impersonation in email, which there's no good way to deal with. So, I mean, the big takeaway here is one, right, for you personally as individuals, your family, your friends, never, never do sensitive things over email. Somebody asks you for a password, asks you social security number, credit card information. If you're applying for a loan and there's a legitimate need for the documents, please, please don't use email uh, for that. It's just not a very secure way of doing business. Ask for secure options, you know, fax, drive it to a bank. Uh, but a lot of lures that criminals do all the way up and down the spectrum just rely on people's false sense of trust of email. So, so don't do that. The good news in the case of uh, the French presidential candidate, uh, the, there was no uh, stealing of information or emails. So I doubt we're going to see uh, WikiLeaks uh, leaking any information here in the short term to affect that election. Uh, so they were able to, to be aware of the threat and take adjustments. And there are lessons there you should take at the heart for protecting yourself, your family, uh, and whatever uh, company that you may be working for. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, terrorist groups who are using hacking to further their agenda. There are a lot of different classes of people who engage in hacking. Uh, certainly, right, we've talked a lot about intelligence agencies of what Russia or China might do. Uh, that's come up a lot. Uh, certainly, there are other nations engaged in that kind of behavior where they're, where they're engaging in espionage uh, via electronic means. Certainly, there's lots of organized crime that goes on there. People who are trying to steal your credit card, your bank account information, your medical records, stealing your identity. Uh, a lot of that originates in Eastern Europe, right? A lot of money and effort gets spent in their tradecraft. Um, we'll probably talk about it in future shows, but there's uh, you know tools and software out there known as creeperware or stalkerware. Uh, where uh, people can uh, use things to keep track of ex-girlfriends or boyfriends, uh, you know, monitor their phones, that kind of thing. Uh, but there is another group out there uh, that you can be aware of. They grab headlines. They, do, uh, they make a lot of claims, and they're good at generating media uh, called hacktivists, right, an am amalgamation of hacking and activism. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about how ISIS is doing that to, to uh, great effect, but usually involves hijacking of Twitter accounts and Facebook, creating a lot of noise, not necessarily a lot of damage and impact, 
impact, but it generates a lot of media. It gets people, uh, it gets people's emotions roused up. Uh, you know, you'll see things on the five o'clock news and the like. Uh, the good news is not too much effect of it, but it's really designed to draw attention to their cause. We'll talk about the specific case of ISIS, how they're doing it with their all-female hacking brigade here after the break. But you've heard about other groups like Anonymous, Occupy Wall Street did a little bit of this. Uh, the Syrian Electronic Army did about six years ago. Uh, famously um, took over the Associated Press Twitter account and suggested there was an expl- wrote AP breaking explosion at White House uh, that sent markets tumbling. Uh, eventually recovered pretty quickly when we realized there wasn't an explosion at the White House. But all this goes to show is that there are a lot of people doing a lot of bad things, uh, ways to either get attention to their cause or money. But all comes down to that you need to critically take a look at what you see online uh, and vet things. The more important the information, the more sensitive it is, the more it's necessary to maybe pick up the phone and ask and, and ask a question, right? Uh, if, if you see something on the AP Twitter feed that says there's an explosion on the White House, turn to your nearest news channel. I'm sure they would have live footage, and if they don't, you'll know it's a scam. Uh, for business email compromise, we talked about a minute ago, right? If your CEO sends you an email, says, I need you to wire $250,000, and he's never done that, before, pick up the phone and call him, you know, or somebody to verify that. Do what we call out-of-band verification. All of this is very important to just examine the data that you're seeing, the more sensitive, asking for passwords, financial information, impactful of, of terrorist attacks, whatever. Doing that will help you from being duped by criminals, hacktivists, and help you keep yourself safe online. So stay tuned. We're going to talk more about the all-female ISIS hacking brigade here after the break. You've been listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Stay tuned for more. Scan your computer, but don't scan the dial. Stay right here. John Bambanek will be right back. Bambanek's back with the latest on cybersecurity. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio. I am your host, John Bambanek. Last segment, we were talking about uh, some activities Russia's been doing with uh, election hacking both here and uh, some news this past week of what they're doing in France. Um, we've talked a little bit about Russia and China and what their activities are doing, but they're certainly not the only country uh, or entity out there, I should say, uh, who is using uh, cybersecurity and hacking as uh, a means of uh, foreign influence. Joining us now, we have John Hayward of Breitbart News. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you very much for having me. Good. Uh, a couple days ago, uh, earlier this week, you had uh, an article out there uh, talking about an all-female uh, Islamic State hacker battalion uh, working for ISIS. T- uh, what can you tell us about this? Well, that's how they describe themselves. They're called the Al-Kansa Katiba, or the Al-Kansa Brigade, which is also the name of the Islamic State's military all-female battalion. They actually have a wing of female fighters who work sort of as religious or morality police inside Islamic State territory and and are noted for their extreme cruelty. And this is their online wing. They have a hacker wing of, of all women, supposedly some living in the Islamic State and others living overseas that are sympathetic to them. And they're on a quest to deprive 
deprive the infidels of sleep, as they put it. They say they're, they're keeping infidels awake at night by disrupting their communications networks and, and doing all sorts of damage to them online, although I think their claims are more grandiose than their actual achievements, as, as hacking goes. Those who have investigated them say that they haven't really done as much damage online as they claim to have done. Oh, that's fair enough, and that's kind of usual, typical of terrorist organizations. And actually, it's it's not unknown uh, behavior for anonymous and other hacktivist groups uh, to have done uh, to to claim more than what they've gotten away with. Oh, that's very true. The main ISIS online group, the Cyber Caliphate, which is their main hacking organization, that group has taken to putting out these death lists every six mm-hmm. months to a year or so. They'll put out a death list, and they'll make it look as if they've raided all sorts of secure databases to compile this information, and they'll put 10,000 names out with addresses and what have you and say, go kill these people. They're, they're targets, and they're usually people that are in the religious community, uh, people from churches and synagogues, occasionally politicians. In one case, it was people that were mostly members of the U.S. and British military. But it turns out that most of the information in these lists is really public domain. They're, they're not really mm-hmm. stealing any secure data. They just want to make it look that way. So they look imposing and threatening. Yeah, I think one of the lists I saw a couple months ago had uh, realtors, right? And I'm not yes, sure what yep. people who buy and sell houses have to do with, uh, uh, you know, terrorism or, you know, the conflict in Syria. But, you know, no, no that's exactly right. I mean, it's just uh, a headline grabbing stunts similar to uh, what the Syrian Electronic Army did uh, very early on in the uh, Syrian conflict under Obama, I think. Yes, and, and the interesting thing about ISIS's cyber presence to me is that as they've been losing physical terrain, they've been losing cyber terrain. It seems like both fronts are going badly for them, and early on it was thought that their cyber presence was completely independent of their physical conquest, that it was mostly a diffuse network of ISIS supporters all over the world, and it wouldn't really matter if, if they lost territory, that they would still be a formidable online presence. But instead, as they've been losing territory in Iraq and Syria, their online activities have greatly subsided. They've become much less formidable. Their recruiting isn't going as well. Social media is getting better at blocking them when they try to use Twitter or Facebook Mm -hmm. for recruiting attempts. So they've been pretty much driven back to Telegram, which is their platform of choice these days, a secure messaging application. And it has a very narrow reach. When you're using Telegram and the dark web, you're not really looping in a lot of innocent victims. You know, it's mostly people that know how to already find you. Well, yeah, exactly right. So I, I've got Telegram and all that stuff on my phone, but it's not like you can go searching for people that way. There's no real public communication channels by, by design, right? It's meant to be private and encrypted. Exactly. That, that's why it's been used by people that they don't want to be spied upon, but it definitely limits your marketing appeal. You can't really reach out to a wide audience through platforms like that, and driving them to those platforms has made it more difficult for them to recruit. There's an interesting story circulating just this week that a lot of the ISIS foreign recruits are starting to bail out. A lot of the people that they brought in from overseas to fight for them are deciding they don't want to live in the collapsing caliphate anymore, and they're heading home, which is also going to hurt their online recruiting efforts because that story is going to be Become known, and it will make it much harder for them to recruit people. They always used a lot of bravado in doing that. They always told people, hey, we're the winning team, we're the baddest gang on the planet, come join us. And now that that's obviously not true anymore, they're having a harder time pulling people in. 
Yeah, I mean nobody nobody likes uh, being attached to the losing team, you know. And uh, you know it amazes me last year how many people suddenly became Cubs fans, for instance. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, no, definitely. So you know what what else do you see in terms of, of uh, you know cyber hacktivism going on with with ISIS? Anything else we should know? What are, you know what are the listeners you know have to be concerned about uh, from ISIS and what they're doing online? Well, the biggest concern right now is still the way that they're using secure online communications to communicate with these lone wolf-type terrorists, and they, they still are very interested in getting these diffuse attacks going mm -hmm. across Europe, the United States, Canada, persuading individual people to drive cars into crowds. That seems to become a favored method, or, or knife attacks. I think one of those mm -hmm. was just thwarted in the UK today. You know, so they're still using the online platforms to do that, and they do still reach a lot of people, even though they may be collapsing as a group recruiting presence online, they still have open channels of communication with many thousands of people. It's hard to tell exactly how many people subscribe to them on, on platforms like Telegram, but it's numbered in the thousands all over the world. There are still mm -hmm. a lot of people that they're in communication with, and that, that definitely needs to be watched. And with encrypted communications, it's very difficult to monitor the activity. If, if you look at the FBI arrests for people who are ISIS recruits, another one was just a charge today, and they always put out these charging documents, and they'll talk about how they caught them and they almost always catch them by going into these same social media mm -hmm. networks and FBI informers will talk to them and pretend to be curious recruits and interested and they've kind of mastered the art of pretending to be exactly the kind of person ISIS wants to talk to and that's how they, they get them to tumble into the trap you know that's that's how they bring them down right now and I, I have some friends who do that work they don't have the, the greatest um, you know, security-mindedness, uh, I mean, using Telegram, right, prevents for snooping, but they kind of have to talk to new people because they're recruiting, which creates kind of their weakness. And, uh, you know, I know people in those Telegram channels who are just basically feeding the intelligence back to, uh, you know, pick your friendly foreign nation intelligence service of choice. So, uh, you Well, know, it's interesting because they don't have a public presence either. When you're using that kind of communication, you don't really have a big extensive online footprint that, mm -hmm. say, ISIS could look at and say, boy, this guy looks like a good recruit. I think he's the real deal. They're kind of going on what you're telling them directly in communications, and intelligence operatives, law enforcement, have gotten quite good at pretending to be the kind of person that an ISIS recruiter wants to talk to. And I think that's why there's a mushrooming success. It's kind of snowballing. They're taking more and more of these people down. Yep. No, I think that's definitely true. So, you know, good news there, you know, good find uh, that all the talking that we do here in the United States of getting women into STEM careers. Apparently, the Islamic State has figured out and solved this problem for themselves, getting uh, getting women into hacking groups. So thank you for joining. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, have a little fun. Thank you that uh, you've been listening to John and Hayward, uh, Breitbart News at Breitbart.com. Thank you for being on the show, John. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. John Bambanek on the radio, and on the lookout for the latest cyber threats. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek. 
Now we come to the social media future where we take your questions and what you want to know about cybersecurity hacking and what you need to know to keep your family safe. If you would like to ask us questions, you can do so via the website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash cybersecradio, uh, via Twitter at at cybersecradio, and email at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com. Got a question on cybersecurity? Ask Bambanek. Really? You sure about that? Uh, Sam asked, I saw the news about the Chipotle hack. I'm an avid Chipotle eater. How can I protect my bank account and credit card information? Um, the important thing to realize that by and large for uh, breaches of credit card information when your things got, when your account information gets stolen from retailers like Chipotle or, or Target or any number of things that have happened over the years, you are not liable for the transactions if you report them in a reasonable amount of time. Now, uh, banks tend to uh, proactively figure out what cards have been stolen and reissue them uh, as a way to not deal with the hassle of people calling in and uh, reporting bogus charges. But the biggest thing you need to keep in mind is taking a look at your statements when they come out monthly. If there's something in there you don't recognize, you don't see that wasn't you, call, tell them what happened. You know, Odds are if you say, hey, by the way, I went to Chipotle, they're going to take it right off. They've made it a very lightweight and painless process for the most part. Uh, credit cards are a little bit easier than debit cards with your bank. Sometimes your debit card will want you to sign a statement or things of that sort. But even then, uh, they're kind of dialing the, it back a lot. And when these big breaches happen of millions of credit cards, uh, they kind of know what's coming. Uh, so if you say, hey, my credit card got stolen here, uh, they may have already even flagged your card uh, to know that it happens. And they'll arrange to get you a new one. But the important thing is pay attention to those statements because if you leave fraudulent charges on your card, uh, usually 90 days, but it can vary, you know, you can't go back and say, oh, by the way, this is fraudulent, you know, six months ago. They could say, you know what, you waited too long. We're not going to take it off. So be sure uh, you don't have to check daily, but you can check, you know, with your statements every month. Say, hey, you know what? I wasn't in Pennsylvania uh, getting a $200 steak dinner uh, on April 20th. Uh, you know, you call up and, and it's, like I said, very easy to deal with uh, usually. Uh, and then ask for that new credit card. Once somebody starts using it, more people are going to use it. You know, at that point, you know your card is in the mix. It's been compromised. Tell your bank, hey, it's time to reissue it. Odds are they're not going to debate it. They're probably just going to send you out one anyway. Next question. Scott asked, North Korea has been in the news a lot recently, including the possibility that the Pentagon hacked North Korean missiles. Could that have actually happened? Uh, yeah, no, it's true. North Korea is making a lot of bit of noise. In fact, this week, the entire U.S. Senate was brought to the White House for a uh, security briefing on the North Korean threat. And there's a there's a lot of activity uh, going around out there. Last week, uh, they did do a missile test. The missile uh, exploded shortly after launch, so it was a failed missile attempt. Um, this story that uh, the, the Pentagon or the CIA hacked this missile really came from a former spy who served in British intelligence in the 90s. Wasn't really in a position to know, was kind of talking off the cuff uh, and speculating, and then a lot of headlines were generated. Um, there's no evidence really to think so, but always bear in mind 
uh, North Korean technology is either acquired off the black market or stolen designs via hacking uh, that we've talked about several times on this show, uh, they probably don't have the kind of connectivity required for the CIA, you know, sitting in Langley to go over through the Internet to hack their missiles. Um, you know, that isn't to say there might not be an insider in North Korea doing sabotage or they were given fake information or fake designs or bad parts in a black market sale. Any number of those things could happen, but it's kind of speculation at this point. Uh, the hacking was just kind of somebody talking off the cuff and articles being generated uh, about it. So, no, I don't, I don't really think that's possible uh, at all. So uh, an example of fake news for you there. Brian asked, I haven't heard much in regards to cybersecurity from the Trump administration. What is your take on how the president is dealing with this issue? Uh, one of his campaign promises was within 90 days of releasing a comprehensive cybersecurity policy. And that obviously is that 90 day deadline has come and gone. We haven't seen much in that regard. Uh, we do know that he appointed Rudy Giuliani uh, as a cybersecurity advisor. Um, they, they have people in positions, but they really haven't announced much in the way of what they need to do. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, largely, some of the problems are self-explanatory. If you're talking about the security of the federal government and protecting the information they have, um, every time there's a report, it says a lot of the same things. Uh, you know, using the latest technology, two-factor authentication, uh, sharing intelligence information between agencies, uh, making sure things are patched, which you hear me go back to in terms of consumer stuff, always patch your stuff. Um, so a lot of the things are the same, but this kind of segues into another interesting story uh, that came out this week. Uh, there was a letter from Senator Wyden, a U.S. senator, talking about cybersecurity. Uh, and one of the things in his letter, right, as me as a cybersecurity professional took notice of, you know, there are these smart cards. You probably have them with your credit cards now, the little chip in there. Uh, there are smart cards for ID cards. It's got a name and basically it's same kind of chip in there. Uh, the White House uh, executive branch uses that for physical access to places. Well, in the U.S. Senate, uh, the ID cards don't have a chip. They have a picture of a chip. So it's just no functionality to this little image. It's just they took a picture of a chip uh, and then for some reason thought that, you know, hey, that's good enough to pretend to be secure, which was in in this U.S. senator's letter. Right. So when we talk about things of cybersecurity, right, these this is things that happen in the government of of really silly maneuvers to create the appearance of security without it. So it was kind of an amusing note this week of, hey, you know what, we're going to give U.S. Senate staff these ID cards. I've got a picture of a little chip in it uh, so that we can pretend to be cool without actually having to invest time and money and effort into security. And to be fair, it is time and money and effort. And when you're talking about tax dollars, often, you know, people are reticent of, of spending money on such things. And uh, I get that, right? But for anything, for any entity that protects information, whether it's the federal government, your state government, the IRS, the VA, uh, your bank, your hospital, right? You have to invest in this stuff because you're protecting somebody else's secrets, uh, somebody else's confidential information, and you have to make sure uh, that you keep it safe. And that does entail uh, spending some time and effort and money into it because uh, intelligence agencies, criminals, hacktivists are trying to go after this stuff all of the time. And the big risk with this picture of a smart card uh, ID thing in the U.S. Senate is 
it wouldn't be that hard to fabricate a fake ID with a picture on it uh, and this little smart card reader and then somebody kind of sneak into the U.S. Capitol. Obviously, there's a little bit more uh, to getting into the U.S. Capitol than that. But, you know, it was really a missed opportunity to protect the physical security of the United States Congress. Uh, you could say whatever you want about individual congressmen and U.S. senators, but I don't think any of us want uh, individuals with bad intent getting inside the U.S. Capitol while things are in session. There could be some real bad outcomes there. So uh, the short answer is right. There there needs to be a lot more done. Uh, there is uh, a lot of uh, uh, slowness going on with the administration of standing things up uh, and, uh, you know, they're just getting their feet out uh, underneath them. Uh, but certainly there's a lot of national security foreign policy stuff that uh, I don't know was expected by anybody, specifically with North Korea. And certainly they need to take some steps and get things moving here. So that's it for our questions here. Coming up next, we're going to be talking with Patrick O'Neill from CyberScoop, uh, cyberscoop.com, about some of the cybersecurity news he's seeing uh, for criminals and ransomware, people who are encrypting files on your hard drive and demanding you pay them to get your pictures back or your documents back. So stay tuned. A lot of great information coming up next. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. You're listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek, talking about cybersecurity issues, what you need to know about nation states hacking, terrorist organizations, hacktivism, and protecting your family's financial information and privacy. Um, you can reach us online at our website, cybersecuritytodayradio.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash cybersecradio. At Twitter, you can find us at cybersecradio and my personal Twitter account at Bambanek. And email us at johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Joining us now is Patrick O'Neill from CyberScoop, uh, an online uh, news resource talking cybersecurity. Uh, and uh, he's going to talk to us about some of the uh, latest cybersecurity news that he's seeing. Welcome to the show, Patrick. John, thanks for having me. So uh, prior to the break, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, threats facing consumers. What do they need to know uh, and listeners to this program to protect themselves? And one of the biggest things uh, recently uh, in the past couple of years that's really been hitting consumers hard is uh, ransomware. And I know with the Verizon breach report that came out on Thursday, uh, there's a lot of conversation in there about ransomware. Uh, and you've got some uh, articles in there. Uh, tell us what you're seeing in terms of trends of ransomware. 
Yeah, so ransomware has to be, over the last year, one of the biggest um, growth areas in terms of threats out there. And there's new research from Symantec uh, that just came out this week that said that the average ransomware attack um, was demanding $1,077 last year, which is up almost 300% from a year prior. Um, and the reason for that is pretty simple, which is that people are paying uh, the demands. So obviously there have been some pretty high profile incidents over the last year. Uh, San Francisco's Muni got hit mm -hmm. with ransomware. Uh, Washington, D.C.'s police department was hit with ransomware. Um, there have been a lot of schools and hospitals hit. But what happens in public um, is actually only part of it. There's a whole private um, area of breaches going on that get hit and are often a demand, um, often paying off higher ransoms than you even see in public. So mm -hmm. there was an IBM security uh, study just a few months ago um, that said that 20% of the thousand or so companies that they um, surveyed had paid a ransom of over $40,000 at some point, um, which is incredible to think about. And it's not part of what Symantec uh, was looking at. So you yeah. can assume when you start to think about the companies um, that get hit with this stuff, that that number is even higher. Uh, the FBI last year urged and has continued to urge businesses to immediately tell authorities what's going on with ransomware and to pay up. Um, but companies don't do that because, A, they think it'll leak, and B, they think it'll ruin their reputation and cause harm to their business. So 70% of companies uh, end up just keeping it a secret and paying it off, which in the end yields even more money mm -hmm. and higher ransom demands. Um, and the interesting thing then is that it could go even higher. Um, there's been a study a few weeks ago from economists who said that if ransomware hackers just apply a little bit more sophisticated pricing techniques could lead to a dramatic increase in profits. And what they mean basically mm -hmm. is individually, uh, individually profiling the targets oh, yeah. and deciding that this is what they'll pay. No, and that's exactly it, right? You know, the, the criminals are going to charge you exactly what they think you're going to pay uh, before you walk away. Uh, it started at $300. It seemed to be a sweet spot. But, you know, for things, uh, and I've had a couple of cases involving hospitals, right? You've got all your patient records that are now encrypted. You've got people on the operating room table. You know, death is a plausible outcome if you don't do something. You know, that's when you start getting into million-dollar ransoms. Uh, and it's and it's a real big problem. And you and you touch on something particular that that I do want to emphasize, right? Of of telling law enforcement or somebody, um, I spend time personally investigating this and the criminals behind it. And one of the best resources we have are the Bitcoin wallets they take payments from, so we can track that money to identify affirmatively who the person is and try, you know, to arrest them. So uh, by all means, yeah, we need that information. That's right. And especially important to note is that of the victims who pay the ransoms that are demanded, only 47% actually get their files back. So you have to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. um, the obvious solution, or not solution, but the obvious defense here is to make sure you have backups of your files so that this stuff doesn't immediately become a life or death situation. No, absolutely. If if you're you're a hospital, you're an institution, right? Backups are key. 
So uh, you also have some uh, uh, some uh, a start article out here talking about zero days, right? These are exploits to which there's no patches out there, something the criminal has found they're exploiting in the wild that we can't protect against them, and you're seeing some trends there. Uh, tell us what you're seeing. That's right. Zero days are some of the most valuable pieces of information uh, when it comes to cyberspace, because as you said, it's basically unknown and therefore you can't defend against it. And so governments, militaries or companies will pay high amounts uh, in order to get these uh, get this piece of data. They'll pay it either so they can fix the software or so they can hack the software. However, for a few reasons, uh, this stuff is becoming harder to come by. Um, and so the supply is going down, but the demand is staying the same or rising. And so basic economics says that the price will go up as well. Um, and you can see that on a f in a few different ways. You can see that on bug bounty markets, mm -hmm. which is where companies will pay hackers to look at their systems. And then through that, they'll fix their systems. And the price has been going up uh, there steadily year over year. And you can also see that on the offensive side of the market, where companies and governments will pay for zero days uh, in order to break software. And the price there has been going up uh, for a while. Now, the reasons um, include bug bug bounty programs, which has become increasingly popular. And what that does is put more eyeballs on uh, a, a company's software and enables them to fix their software better. It, it provides a real profit motivation um, and provides a way to legally um, hack, essentially, which is important. And then uh, it's basically simple that vendors like Microsoft and Apple have gotten better about patching vulnerabilities within their platform. Uh, Adobe, Flash, all these vendors have gotten, um, you know, objectively better. And so that's made zero day vulnerabilities better as um, more rare as well. No, no, absolutely. That's true. And, uh, you know, last week we had on Dragos Ryu of Cansec West and part of his conference is uh, Pwned Own, where uh, people compete for a quarter million dollar prize if they can find vulnerabilities in Chrome or uh, any number of things they have in a given year. So, I mean, there's there's real money if you're good, uh, good at finding that kind of stuff. So coming here towards the end, again, this uh, you've been listening to Patrick O'Neill from CyberScoop, cyberscoop.com. Uh, thank you for joining us today, Patrick. Thanks for having me. So good information there about ransomware uh, and zero days, right? The, the point to emphasize about zero days, always make sure you're patching, updating uh, Windows, Adobe, Java, Flash. When those uh, updates come out, one of the big reasons uh, zero days are getting harder to come by, Windows 10 is... Uh, got a lot of advancements. It really is a hard target. So if you're not running Windows 10, uh, really seriously consider moving to that platform because that will really help protect you from online malfeasance. John Bambinick. We're here at the end of our show. Uh, Coming at you from AM820 News, covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AM1060 News, covering the Space Coast and Orlando. To find us online, you can see us at CybersecurityTodayRadio.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash CybersecRadio, uh, Twitter at CybersecRadio, and my personal Twitter handle at Bambenek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K. Uh, and email for uh, your questions if you want to get in touch with us. 
johnbambanekradio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K radio at gmail.com. You've been listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with John Bambanek, and hope to catch you again next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. John Bambanek, on the radio and on the lookout for the latest cyber threats.